Nine-time World Series champion, Boston Red Sox. Your six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Your six, your seventeen-time NBA champion, Boston Celtics. Your six-time Stanley Cup champion, Boston Bruins. And your eleven-time national champions in football, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I am your host, Thomas Thomas O'Shea, also known as the Junkyard Tog, also known as T.O. Swiggins, and you can't change that. If you do, you're a totalitarian. <laughs> All right, yeah, seriously. Yeah, don't change anybody's opinion. Yeah. All right. All right, so almost about the end of the decade. We are going to do an all-decade podcast segments. So we're going to do one for the Red Sox, what they have done since 2010 to, like, 2019, and so on with the Patriots, Celtics, Bruins, and Notre Dame football. So basically, yeah. Hey, see everybody. But first, we're going to wrap up, do some news. Starting with the Bruins. <clears throat> so the weekly scores. All right. Let's see. So Monday, they played the Washington Capitals, the best team in hockey right now, and basically just dominated them. So they won that game seven to three, had four goals in the first period. Seven to three against the best team in hockey right right now, the Washington Capitals. The Brusk had a goal in the first period. Marshan had a goal in the first period. Bork had a goal in the first period. Bergeron had a goal in the first period. Then the second period, Coyle had a goal. Then uh David Krejci had a goal in the third period. And then Bergeron had a goal in the first period, the third period. So, yeah. yeah. Rask had a night. Yeah. Yeah, Rask had a night. And also did Co- Coyle and David Krejci. And the Celtics end up ending their uh, three-game losing streak at, at or at three. So good. Very good. And one at home in front of the Garden Faithful, which will be the last time they will face the Capitals ever this season. And then they played Buffalo last night, and the final score of that one was uh, Bruins 30, or Bruins 3, Sabres nothing. And then two goals by Bergeron in the first, first and second period, and then a goal, an empty netter by Brandon Carl that basically – Put the Sabers away, basically increase the Bruins' uh, win streak to two. And their next game is not until tomorrow night against the Buffaloes again in Boston. This time in Boston. Yeah. Bad news though. Um, Tory Krug is out. Yeah. Tory Krug is out with. Yeah. He is out with a uh, with an upper body injury that he sustained in uh, Monday night's win against the Washington Capitals. So, and they called off Stephen Camfer from a prop or a AHL Providence to basically uh, basically be his replacement on the roster. Yeah, 
Kind of on emergency basis, though. We really need Tori Krug to be on the defensive end, especially if he's going to be basically the young, kind of like up-and-comers for the Bruins in the defensive end since, yeah, basically Chara's kind of dealing with some injuries too, yeah. So, yeah. All right, so that's all for Bruins news. Let's go on the Celtics news. Yeah, I was going to do this alphabetically. All right. So, let's see. They have done. Let's see. So Sunday they played against the um, Charlotte Hornets, and the final score of that one was um, the Celtics 119, the Hornets 93 to increase the win streak to three. The increase the win streak to three. Yeah. Jason Tatum, had, or yeah, yeah, Jalen Brown had a night. Well, actually, Jason Tatum had a night too, a career high night, as I say, thirty nine points. And then they played month. Then they played uh, on Christmas Day against the Toronto Raptors in Toronto against the defending NBA champions, I shall say, um, and won that game one hundred eighteen to one hundred two. And let's see. Against the defending NBA champions, Jalen Brown had an eye too. Yeah, that's but and they also said in uh let's see, Celtic stats, which is basically the official NBA or official Celtic stats of the Celtics. Let's see, they had a stat on Christmas Day. Basically, uh, let's see. So basically, uh, Jalen Brown became the first player, first Celtics player, to score thirty plus points on the road on Christmas Day since Rajon Rondo did it on so on uh, December the twenty fifth of twenty eleven against the New York Knicks. Yeah, I remember that game. I think we lost. Yeah, yeah, we did lose. Yeah, I remember that we did lose because I ended up getting into it with like some anti Celtics fans on Facebook. Fans didn't like the team. Yeah. But it was like more friendly, kind of getting into it, just kind of jabbing each other, stuff like that. But yeah, pretty neat. Almost over a decade that someone's has done that on Christmas Day for the Celtics. Awesome. Yeah. And then on, let's see, front, yes, last night they played the Cleveland. I can't talk. The Cleveland Cavaliers at home, and the final score of that one was. Celtics 100 or 129, the Cavaliers 117, and basically, uh, Jason Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum basically had a night, like they combined for a 30 plus or a for I see uh let's see oh come on show me they combined for like 30 plus points let's see here we are 30 plus points all together oh, that that ain't it. Yeah, they had. Yeah, they combined for a six. They get. They combined for sixty-four points, and which basically, yeah, Terry or Jalen Brown had uh thirty-four points, and Jason Tatum had thirty points, and that's the first time that uh two Celtics teammates have scored thirty plus points in a game of the same night with 
since uh, Jeff Green and uh, Avery Bradley did so on uh, November the 3rd, 2014 in Dallas. So pretty good night. Yeah, so almost over a decade. Yeah. So 64 points altogether, 60% shooting, and basically 10, 10 for 20 at the three-point line. So, yeah, very good night for the Celtics. Increase their win streak to five. To five, yeah. Taking care of business since against a team that really needs to be taking care of business. Although tonight, unfortunately, Celtics fans, the game, the win streak came to an end at home against defending NBA champions, the Toronto Raptors, with the final score of 113 to uh, 97. So that ends the win streak for the Celtics. Yeah, not very good. Yeah. I like to say about Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum, especially Jalen Brown. He is now proving that he really does deserve that contract. And Jason Tatum is now starting to pick it up too, especially uh, stuff like that. He's starting to prove that like he really is a contributor to the team and stuff like that. And let's see. Um, yeah, like I really feel like the Danny Ainge should really not trade those guys. He should really build a team around them. So that's all I gotta say about the Celtics. Let's see, Notre Dame football. Yeah, let's get that over with. Um, so Notre Dame season came to an end today with a uh, camping world camping world bowl victory, and uh, with the against the I against Iowa State with the final score, uh, 30, 33 to thirty three to nine, a blowout victory. Yeah, feel like. I feel like they combined yeah, they were basically like running over like Iowa State. They were kind of making them look silly in a way. But yeah. So yeah, basically, yeah, they ended the season eleven and two, and that's the first time in literally decades since uh like the early nineteen uh nineties. So like that uh three for Notre Dame has had three consecutive seasons where they've had ten or more wins. And that's going back to uh, the first time they've done it since, like, 1991 through, like, uh, 1993. So, like, 1991, 1992, and 1993. So, when I was basically born. So, that's the first time they've had uh, 10 or more win seasons in three consecutive seasons for the first time. Yeah. It's pretty good. They were talking about on the TV broadcast today during the game that I was watching. They were talking about, like, how this uh, the next Notre Dame recruiting cast could be really good. And that just shows that Brian Kelly is a really good coach at Notre Dame because he has really built up the recruiting process at Notre Dame to the point where, like, now they're getting the top talent now. Back then, I mean, back in the day, I mean, back in kind of like the, at least when Charlotte Weiss was there, basically they weren't getting it a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, basically he has built back up Notre Dame's recruiting class to the point where I could see them really rising again. I could really see them rising again. Unless this whole college football Season, which I feel like is good, but also kind of stupid in a way because it only favors people that, yeah. I'm not saying Notre Dame should join a conference. I'm not saying that. I'm totally against Notre Dame joining a conference. I feel like we will lose, Notre Dame will lose more than they will gain if they join a conference. So, yeah. That's my opinion. And you can just suck it because that is my opinion. So. I don't know. Yeah. All right. So Patriots news. 
Not a lot, although um, they do play tomorrow against the Miami Dolphins to finish off the regular season. All right. And then, let's see. Oh, yeah. What else? Oh, yes. They, uh, the NFL, as you know, is having their 100th um, anniversary season. So this is like 100 years the NFL has been around, basically, or professional football has been around in the United States. So this is um so this year they're doing like their all time the NFL's doing their all time NBA team to kind of like finish off the season and let's see one two three four five six seven eight. eight Patriots including a coach have made it and if you're wondering who if you can't really tell who the coach is at this time you, I don't like call yourself a Patriots fan um. So basically, eight players, including a coach, or eight people, including a coach, made it on to the NFL all-time uh, all-time team, and that is Coach Bill Belichick, quarterback Tom Brady, of course. I mean, seriously, I mean, it would not be if they did not make if both Belichick and Tom Brady did not make this all-time NFL team. I feel like this that list is basically just fixed, basically. I yeah, I will march over to the commissioner's off Roger Goodell's office and demand that they uh yeah be like be like the Democrats. We want a recount. It's really all right back. All right back. No politics on this podcast. Um, so tight end Rob Gronkowski, offensive guard John Hanna, back from the early days of the Patriots when they weren't really that good. Mike Haynes, quarterback. Yeah, another old face. Randy Moss at wide receiver. Yeah, here's an interesting one. Linebacker Junior Sanu. Yeah. Kind of tragic how his end, life ended a little bit. Yeah. He could have had a ring with the 07 Patriots, but somehow David Tyreek and the New York Giants had other plans in 07 for the NFL. And kicker uh, Adam Benetary. So those are like the all-time... Uh, Patriots, uh, or the Patriots are made on the all-time Patriots, or uh, the all-time, um, yeah, yeah, NFL team, yeah, I'm blanking out, I've been doing two, or been doing, like, four podcasts today so far, and I'm kind of, like, darn, yeah, so, yeah, on to the long one, all right, other news, Antonio Brown's trying to work out with the Saints, yeah, but it's looking like that. It's probably not going to happen. Yeah, it's looking like the. I don't think the Saints are going to give him a contract now. Yeah. Red Sox news? Yeah, not really much. The same old Austin stuff. Red Sox aren't really making any news so far. Old Kyat at the Fenway front. Yeah. Did anybody get that reference at all? Yeah. It's from All's Quiet on the Western Front, which is basically, yeah, basically kind of a book about World War One, but it's kind of like an anti-war kind of book. It was kind of like, yeah, and even it was written in Germany, but it got banned during like the World War Two because it's so anti-war and like people like Hitler didn't really like that book. It was, yeah. But anyway, I did like All's Quiet on the Fenway Front, basically, yeah, yeah, because really nothing's going on. Really nothing. Well, I think the oldest quiet on the Western Front was referring to like World War One finally ending, like 
the guns have finally silenced, and it's all quiet on the Western Front. Well, at this point, really, it's all quiet on the Fenway Front because we're not doing absolute crap to do anything. Yeah. I can see it with High and Blue. I'm not saying putting blame on him. I really still have fame for the guy, but at this point, I really I can't really blame the guy because at this rate, I feel like the owner is kind of like basically, uh, um, kind of have like, that's it. Some of these owners kind of like have, make it to the point where like these uh, GMs and stuff like that can't really do much because their hands are basically tied. They really can't do anything. They can't make trades. And in some cases, I mean, trading someone like David Price, I mean, who's going to want his enormous contract? Yeah. Who's going to want to bear that on? I mean, and some of it too, like, is like the whole Mookie thing is that they try trading him. I mean, some people are just, it's kind of like a rental, trading for a rental player. I feel like saying, like, do you really want just a season of Mookie bets? Even though this guy's probably going to hit free agency and is going to get a contract from somebody that's not probably going to be your team that's going to get it. Yeah. Just, I just feel like I hate it every time they say, oh, we're, we're actually going to trade these people. We're going we're to make some moves. And then nothing happens. Or at least maybe I shouldn't give up hope just yet. Maybe they might do something. Maybe they might do something. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Not saying I want David Price, Mookie Betts, or JD or JB J or they could still tr maybe trade JD Martinez. Hope not because that's yeah. I'm not saying I want all three of those players gone. It's just saying that I don't know. I feel like I really wish they would all stay in Boston and finish their careers in Boston, but at this point, it's not going to happen. Yeah, and seriously. I feel like they should just trade David Price, basically, because that's basically the hugest contract. And that was the goal of the offseason, trim down payroll. And I feel like that's his biggest – that's the biggest contract on the Red Sox payroll right now, David Price's contract. Are we still paying Pablo Sandoval that fat bleeps contract? I think we're done paying that contract. Thank God. Jeez. That was a wasteful contract. Yeah, really. A guy that uh, won two World Series titles with the San Francisco Giants, and then when he came here, did absolutely nothing. Yeah, that was a wasteful contract. All right. Any other news? I think we're good. So when we come back, we're going to start our old decade summary or review of the 2010s or 2000s. Tweens. 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 Yeah. Basically, what happened for both Red Sox baseball, Patriots football, Celtics basketball, Bruins hockey, and Notre Dame football. Don't go anywhere. Bye. All right, we're back. And uh, to start off, what we're going to do um, an all-decade summary of the Boston Red Sox. So let's begin. So let's see. 2010, they uh, signed Adrian Belte to a one-year contract, played third base. We're kind of replacing alien uh, Mike Lowell. And then, but unfortunately, they also made signings to like Mike Cameron and stuff like that. And that really didn't turn out to the point where they finished the year 89 and 73 with a 549 winning percentage. And then basically finished third in the AL East and basically missed out on the postseason for the first time in literally three seasons. So, yeah. 
their playoff appearance streak came to an end. Then 2011 showed up. They uh, traded for Adrian Gonzalez, signed Carl Crawford, and basically, yeah, basically got their pitching set. Oh, yeah, the, in t- 2010, they did get John Lackey. So, yeah, yeah. They were predicted to uh, win 100-something games because of their whole pitching staff and stuff like that and possibly win the World Series. But to start off with, they got to like a winless streak to start off with. Then it looked like mid-June or something like that that they started to, okay, maybe 2011 might actually be our year. 2011 might be our year. But then when you get later into August and then to early September of 2011, that's when everything all just went south from there. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, hey, come on. Hey, hey, hey. Computer, stop. All right. All right. Let's see. The record was in September. They were seven and twenty to finish off September, where they fell out first place and eventually fell out of the whole postseason wildcard spot. Basically, which back in the day before the whole two game wild or two wildcard teams, there was just one wildcard team in both leagues, and they missed out on that on the last day, which was a very weird. End of the se- or end of the regular season day, yeah. So they ended the season ninety and seventy two with a five hundred fifty five win percentage, and finished third again in the AL East and out of the postseason. Probably one of the biggest collapses in Red Sox history, or even in MLB history, to a point where um, they let go of probably the greatest manager of all time, Terry Francona. Well, the greatest manager of all time for the Red Sox, Terry Francona, which we'll never see someone like that ever again, basically. And basically, yeah, Theo uh, Epstein decided, hey, I'm going to go over to the Cubs and become their GM, try to break their curse. So, yeah, so we had to get a new GM, which was Ben Sherrington. Probably the good thing that came out of that whole 2011 thing was the ML or uh, – uh, the draft, which we got J- Mookie Betts and JBJ as our draft picks. It's got them to sign. So they will eventually come up through the minor leagues, but for now they just got drafted that year and basically had to work their way up all the way to the minors. Up to tw- 2012, let's see. This And this year should have been a really good year because this was – or well, actually not performance-wide, but just – ceremonial wise because this year was the 100th anniversary of Fenway Park being an actual park. So the oldest ballpark in America celebrate its 100th birthday in 2012. And 2012 was a season to bleeping forget. And and people were already still pissed off coming in the coming back coming from uh, 2011. Seriously. Nobody expected this team to really be that good at all. Basically, yeah, they were basically, it was kind of like a rebuilding year. So, yeah, they basically finished with probably probably the worst record in or worst season in this decade or possibly worst record or worst season since I've been alive as a Red Sox fan, able to follow this team. 69 wins and 
93 losses, and that's the first time they had that many losses since 1965. <laughs> so almost 50 years. Ugh. With a 426 win-loss percentage, fifth in the fifth in the NL and 26 games back. <laughs> yeah, and that's basically where the whole Red Sox Fenway uh, sellout crowd basically just ended right there. The whole win streak ended right there because who wants to go see the Red Sox lose that many games? And it was a shame too because this was the 100th anniversary of Fenway Park opening. But help was at hand for next year for 2013 as they began first with a trade in August of 20, 2012. They traded Adrian Gonzalez, Josh Beckett, and Carl Crawford to the Dodgers and got basically just basically just change and stuff like that and possibly some draft picks to the point where like they can now use some of that cash consideration to go out and sign some people. And they, this offseason, 2013, or the offseason 2013, they did just that. They got Mike Napoli, Johnny Gomes, mostly not really good hitters, but still players on the t- players you want in your clubhouse, building that clubhouse culture. Um, they got they got Koji Iwahara. They got they got Koji Iwahara on on. Yeah, we should know this. <laughs> Should know this. Um, let's see. Go, go down. down, down. They got Koji O'Hara, Shane Victorino, let's see, uh, Steven Drew, JD Drew's younger brother. If you are original Red Sox OG, yeah. Start off a really good year, yeah. And basically, Big Poppy was coming back. And a team that the, basically everybody in MLB was basically just counting up. You know what? This team's not going to be good. Good. They'll be even lucky to even get into the postseason. You know what? They went out and proved it right or wrong. And basically also motivated by the whole Boston Marathon bombing of that happened at the beginning of the year in April to kind of like help them motivate them too. And that was kind of maybe the reason why they had such a great year in 2013, which they finished 97, 97 wins. And 65 losses with a 599 win percentage. And basically their first division title since 2007. Yeah. And basically this is where everything, the magic started to come back again. And that's where I kind of had a little bit more faith in the Red Sox. Yeah. I brought my faith back into the Red Sox. Excuse me. Um, So they won the division. They got into the postseason. Played in the NLD or play in the ALDS against the Tampa Bay Rays and won that series three games to one, losing only game three at Tampa Bay on a walk off by by Jose Loban or something like that. And then went into the Detroit series in the ALCS. It almost looked like game one, they almost got no hit, but then in game two, they were almost getting no hit again. And then they load the bases up, got a couple of hits, and then Big Poppy, David Ortiz, my favorite player. Yeah, basically went up with the bases loaded and basically just smacked it home to the point where to- Joe Torrey was basically, yeah, uh, yeah. Joe Torrey basically, yeah, uh, trying to catch the ball, fell right across the fence or fell. <laughs> Or yeah, kind of like fell like over the fence at Fenway and failing to catch the ball. So they won game two, won game three, lost game four, 
then lost, won game five, then won game six to clinch the AL pennant, and then went on to the World Series to face the 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 St. Louis Cardinals. I'm blurring there. And they had no chance of beating the Detroit Tigers, especially with that pitch staff that they have. And basically since they have Melky Cabrera, which la- the year before had won the Triple Crown, and that was the first time that anybody has won a Triple Crown since Kari Stremski in 1967. So, yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, they had no shot of winning it. And I feel like, as I said before, with the Boston Marathon buying, that was motivation. That was saying, hey, let's go out here and let's win this for the people of Boston. Especially what they went through in April. So they went to the World Series and then won two, four games to two and basically clinched at home at Fenway Park. The first time they have done that at Fenway Park since we had ground troops fighting the German Hunt in World War One, Since Alvin York was basically fighting for the Oregon, capturing 132 German POWs. So yeah, first time that, that the Red Sox had clinched a World Series title at home in literally 95 years. And that was the first time that we heard dirty water after a Red Sox win in the World Series. Next year, though, uh, and I knew it was it's kind of, looking back on it now, it wasn't really going meant to be. They uh entered 2014 as defending it World Series champs. And they kind of got off to a really bad start to the point where, like, it kind of affected them in a way. What kind of pissed me off back then is that we were losing the team. We were playing uh, the NL Central teams for interleague play this year. And these are the fans that I am will basically have to have contact with basically the entire year. So I would have to run every time we would lose a series to someone like the, the Brewers or the Cubs or the Cardinals. I have to run into these people, and they're going to say, Hey, stupid head, I heard your Red Sox shouldn't beat my Cubs or my Cardinals. <laughs> Shut up. Seriously, how many of the – seriously, before 2016, how many World Series titles had the – or when was the last time the Cubs won a World Series? Yeah, that's right. Not since 1908. Or about the Brewers. How many World Series titles have you guys won in your franchise history? Oh, yeah. I'm here cricket sounds. None. <laughs> seriously, yeah, seriously. What the – and that's what pissed me off the most because and knowing I'm looking back on it now, I feel like maybe this team didn't really wasn't gonna repeat yet. But it what pissed me off is like you're coming into 2013 all happy we won the World Series and stuff like that, and then we have a down year like this. Yeah. And then now going to 2015 after my rant of why Fans around here stink, <laughs> or at least fans of teams who cheer for teams around here stink. Um, let's see, 2015, uh, we got uh, Hanley Ramirez and uh, Pablo Sandoval in the uh, franchise signing, and it didn't really work out well for us, and we end up the season with 71 wins and wait, no, on, back, yeah, with 78 wins and 84 losses. So. Uh, Better, more wins than, yeah, so 100, so 481 wins. So fifth in the American League, again, so another last page finish and stuff like that. So, yeah. So we got to see Mookie Betts. Yeah, got to see JBJ and all those guys. They're starting to come up. And then 
in 2016, we signed David Price to a free agent contract. And it was also the year, too, because Dave Ortiz, after many years of service with the Boston Red Sox and bringing so many memories, bringing free World Series titles to the Red Sox at the time, decided 2016 is going to be my last year playing anywhere with anybody. And this was kind of like a farewell season, which I got to see one of those games at Fenway Park on July the 21st. Got to see them win 11-7 victory where Hanley Ramirez went off a free free run home run game or free home run game. Very good. Very good. And this was also the game where Drew Pomerantz pitched. Well, we're going to go into like a punching bag scenario. Drew Pomerantz stinks. He is probably one of the worst pitchers in Red Sox history. (laughs) And I feel sorry for the guy, but still. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, so he pitched in that game. So, yeah, it was basically – they were teased last season, and they made it a season to remember. Offense was on click, where basically ha- everybody had like a hitting streak, uh, basically going to every game, and like it took a while for that hitting streak to end. They ended the season ninety three and sixty nine, won the division again in this decade. So first time since two thousand thirteen, they made it into the postseason, faced the Cleveland Indians, but got swept. And that was kind of weird, too, because that's not a way that Ortiz needs to go out. And then everybody kind of had a last send-off for Dave Ortiz and game, after game three of the 2016 ALDS. So, yeah, old send-off. Then go to 2017, and then the offseason, they got Chris Sale. They got Mitch Moreland. And Tyler Farnberg was there. Didn't no one, you know, you know, no one wants to know, wants to talk about that dude. <laughs> That's another picture that stinked. Um, so anyway, um, they made it. They, um, it was kind of a weird year too because yes, we were winning, but still, I mean, a lot of off season bullsh- bullshit. I'm sorry, bullshit. I'll put it explicit on this episode afterwards. But yeah, a lot of BS that happened first with the. With Orioles outfielder Adam Jones and the incident with the Red Sox fan that called him a racial slur, which we kind, of, which made it now to the point where now look, now every Red Sox fan is racist. Even me, I'm a racist because I cheer for the Red, Boston Red Sox, and it just brought back bad memories of or the Red Sox kind of like racial skeletons and stuff like that. But really, we did not really need to dig back up again. <laughs> but still, they got dug back up again after since then. And then it came with the incident on the plane with David Price and David Zach, or Dennis Eckersley's where it started because Dennis Eckersley made a comment about Erod's rehab start and it looked like he didn't really do good. So they showed it during the broadcast of a Nessa broadcast during the Angel series and he kind of said, Ugh. and I kind of saw his point too. I looked at the stats, I kind of agree with Eckersley. David Price saw that as kind of like an insult to like a, basically a teammate, basically pitching mate of his. So when they got on the plane after a really bad Angels loss, um, David Price, when Eckersley was taking his seat, David or Dennis Eckersley was taking his seat, David Price just said, there he goes, the greatest pitcher of all time. You don't know what we've been through. Uh, yeah, Dennis Eckersley knows where he's been through. He's, been, he's a Hall of Fame pitcher, and at this point before 2018, he has something that you, David Price, do not have. A effing World Series ring. So sit down. Yeah. They were talking about if, like, David Ortiz was still on the team then, then 
David Price would not have said anything. He basically would have just sit down and basically just shut his mouth. The, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the whole thing with Dustin Pedroia and the whole Manny Machado thing, like, what happened was Manny Machado, and this is basically, he was one of the dirtiest players of all time kind of deal. And he, uh, when he was sliding the second base and Pedroia was trying to get the out, he went spikes high and basically took Pedroia out, and that's basically why Pedroia hasn't been the same since then. And basically he was going, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Well, what happened was is, and, well, the begin with Red Sox pitchers during the Orioles series was basically, like, trying to hit May Machado, like, kind of, like, go head hunting. Head hunting is basically where, basically, you're throwing at the batter's head. And that was kind of con- controversial, too. But, look, to begin with, that Pedroia actually called on the hit. But then when you look at it, like, years later, it, a couple years later, you find out that's not really true. Pedroia had nothing to do with it. And he was saying, like, yeah, these are basically the managers and coaches that are basically telling them to do this. Yeah. Which, basically, if you looked at our coaches staff back then, or looked at the Red Sox coaches staff back then, yeah, they weren't really great dudes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, yeah. So, the season was good enough to uh, win the division again for a second straight year in a row, and that's the first time they have done that since being part of the American League East division since 1969. So 93 wins and 69 losses, same records, 2016, the 570-74 win percentage, but not good enough to go far in the postseason, where, again, they made it to the postseason, placed the again or made it to the ALDS, faced the Astros, and basically lost three games to one. And, yeah... <laughs> And that was a one game in the postseason was our first win since like 2013 in the postseason. So not really good. And it looks like it was going to be another gloomy year for 2018 with old John Carlos Stanton coming to New York and teaming up with Aaron Judge. We're guaranteeing they're winning another World Series for the next 2,000 years. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. We might always become Yankees fans. What Kellerman said. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So anyway, but all was not lost because the Red Sox, right before spring training, decided to make a bombshell deal and sign J.D. Martinez to a five-year, one or something, hundred million dollar deal. Oh, okay. Basically, yeah, basically signed him for four years. And looking back on it now, that was the best decision. They also fired their manager, John Farrell. And got a new manager, Alex Cora, my manager. And basically, to begin with, the opening day, they did lose. But that didn't mean the season was lost. Because right after that, they went on a roll. And basically, they did have some mumps on the road somewhat. But they kept on rolling up to 108 wins. The most since 19... The first 100-win season since... Ted Williams came back from World War II in 1946, and the first and the first time they had as many wins since the 1912 Red Sox, which went on to win the World Series that year, and 54 losses. They won the division for a fur trade year in a row and made it to the postseason as the best team in baseball, dusted the Yankees in free, ga- free games to one. 
dusted the defending it, the dusted the defending World Series champion Houston Astros, and then took care of the Dodgers in four ga- four games to one in the World Series, and basically finished capped off the best Red Sox team in franchise history. And basically the best Red Sox team I'm ever going to see ever again. I will have a special place in this Red Sox team. Now into last year's team. I thought they were going to repeat. And going into it, especially in the first inning of the Mariners game on opening, I thought they're going to do it again. They're honestly going to do it again. They're going to do damage again. And then Chris Sale in the second inning kind of like basically gave it up. And then that's kind of where things went. Pitching, especially starting pitching and pitch or relievers were not really good. And we didn't really have a closer. We didn't get signed Craig Kimbrough and stuff like that. And yeah. Yeah, and stuff. <laughs> but it wasn't totally a lost season. The offense was very good to the point where they broke their uh, franchise record for most home runs hit in the season. Yeah, so it wasn't lost by that. So good enough to end the season with five over 500. So 84 and 78, five, 5 and 39 win percent, or for yeah, five, a 519 win win-loss percentage, or, yeah, something like that, but not good enough to make the postseason. So the postseason streak came to an end, and the division winning streak came to an end, too. So that concludes the Red Sox 2010 decade team or uh, review. So when we come back, I think we're going to do the Patriots. Yeah, we're going to do the Patriots, yeah. So don't go anywhere. See you guys. All right, we're back, and now we're going to start with the New England Patriots all-decade review. So, like, let's start. So, starting in the 2010 season, they had a 14-2 record, finished first in the ALCE, so won their second consecutive straight title, but then lost in the division round to the New York Jets, which was pretty bad. (laughs) They did get rid of Randy Randy Moss this year, which was that year. So, yeah, it wasn't really that good. So, yeah, that concludes 2010. So, in 2011, they finished 13-3 and and won the division again. Made it all the way to the Super Bowl, which, again, they lost to the Giants. So, it's kind of like the scenario where Fumi won, shame on me. Let me try what or what's going on. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, yeah. So, yeah, not very good. So, yeah, another consecutive Super Bowl loss. And then they made it into 2012 season, and which they finished 12 and four, first in the, the in their ALC, AFC East again for the fourth straight year in a row. Made it to the conference AFC title game and then lost to the Baltimore Ravens, who would end up winning the Super Bowl at the end. Yeah. Yeah, Terrell Suggs had some things to say after the game. Yeah, we don't like those guys. Yeah, something like they're fucks or something. I don't know. And then 2013 came around. End of the year with the identical record, 12-4. and four, Won the division again for the fifth straight year. One, two, three, four. Five, yeah, five. 
trying to see if I lost count. But then once again, made it to the AFC Championship game again and then lost the Broncos in that conference game against Peyton Manning, which would be his last – or was it? No, 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 yeah. Was basically his, uh, yeah, made it to the AFC Championship game. Then 2014 showed up, and it looked like with bad starts, like especially the game against Kansas City, it looked like that Tom Brady might be heading out. Basically, they were thinking of trading him. But then Tom or Bill Belichick said one word. We're on the Cincinnati. And that's where the season really turned on. And then they finished the year 12 and 4. And then finished another, yet another division title again. Beat the Ravens in the division round. Then beat the Bolts or slapped the Indianapolis coach to make it to the Super Bowl again. But then a day later, word got out that somehow the Patriots were kind of not playing at the level sort of way. As in they were deflating footballs, which started a scandal, which we all know as the flake gate. But little did the NFL know that they had basically turned Tom Brady into John Wick and the rest of the New England Patriots like Tom and John Wick. And that gave them motivation to go into Super Bowl 49 with a purpose to basically, basically tear up the NFL and make it so it... Uh, I hate it when my computer does this. Come on. All right. So they made it to Super Bowl 49. And it looked like the Steelers were basically going to win this game. But then... But basically with literally two minutes... And six seconds left in the game. Brady completed a pass to Julian Elliman for free yards for a touchdown. And then Stevens Kaskowski. I haven't heard of that name in a while. Yeah, he's been out this year. Yeah. Made a two point conversion. But the defending Super Bowl champion, Seattle Seahawks, were not going to go down without a fight. And they were that close to the goal line and basically into the red zone. But luckily, Stuff happened. Let's see. Which basically, Pat, or it was, well, okay, blurred out. I went blank. Uh, Wilson, or Russell Wilson, pass that should have gone to Ricardo Lockett, but then is intercepted by Malcolm, my Malcolm Butler to basically seal the game for the Patriots and give them their first Super Bowl title in 10 years in Super Bowl 49. That's what uh, um, Bob Soshi said during the... (laughs) But basically, that gave Tom Brady his fourth Super Bowl run and basically capped off a basically year that basically started out with bleak and almost to the point where like people were considering Tom Brady's future in New England. To a scandal that could have basically tore up a team. But you know what? They used that as motivation for the fire. And then they came in the 2015 as Super Bowl champions or defending Super Bowl champions. Had an identical record again. 
14 and 12, won the division again, but came up short in the AFC championship game to the defending or to the eventual Super Bowl champion, Denver Broncos, which that was Peyton Mains last year. Yeah. His last hurrah. And then the flake gate showed up again after as the NFL decided to penalize Tom Brady and give him a four-game suspension to start out the year. But you know what? Knowing the New England Patriots and knowing time and time again, don't count him out. Do not dare count him out. Yeah. So they finished the, they started the year winning the free first four games of their season of Tom Brady's suspension, only losing the last game against the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo while losing the last game of Tom Brady's suspension against uh, Buffalo. Then Brady came back, and then he turned into John Wick again, only losing a Sunday night game against the Seattle Seahawks for revenge for Super Bowl Forty Nine. But basically, for the rest of the year, Tom Brady was out to kill. <laughs> he was ready to destroy the NFL and make them – Regret even trying to do another scandal like the Flake Gate and Spygate. And they finished the season 14 and 2, won the division again, took care of the Houston Texans in the divisional round, took care of the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC title game, winning, winning the AFC title, making it back to the Super Bowl 51 where they face the Atlanta Hawks, and it looked like with almost like nine minutes left in the third quarter, and the Patriots were just getting beat up by the Falcons. And it looked like, and even I, the biggest Patriots fan probably in this state, was, it's over. It really is. A season where I thought we have come so far, just the fall short right here. But knowing Tom Brady and knowing Never count this man out and never count up him when he is still with the Patriots or even this Patriots team with Tom Brady. And they found a way with literally less time left to come back from 25 points down to force an over force overtime and then winning in that overtime. Tom Brady handing off to James White, who dived dove into the goal line, and gave the Patriots their fifth Super Bowl title and capped off the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history to the point where I, yeah, I kind of almost – I said let's go, but I kind of almost kind of knelt down and started balling because I thought that I just watched basically the greatest football game of my life. I will count that as probably the greatest football game or a Super Bowl game I've ever watched ever. This was this is where Tom Brady dove into immortality. Although 2017, they made it back as defending Super Bowl champs 13 and 3, won the division again, and made it to the Super Bowl again, but then lost to a kind of miracle miracle run. Super Bowl spe- or Philly special. Philadelphia Eagles team. Yeah. It's over. They're not winning again. Then 2018 shows up. Not a great year for Tom Brady, but still, and not a great year for the defense either. 
but they still found a way to win. They found a way to once again win the division again and then basically win the Super Bowl again, taking down uh, taking down let's see. Crap. Yeah, taking down the LA Chargers at home, beating them up, and then once again doing a Super Bowl 51 kind of comeback against Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC title game and came back and won in overtime and then went to Super Bowl 53 and took out the LA Rams in a kind of low-scoring game, but still they got the job done, and Tom Brady had six Super Bowl rings. And now, although this season 2019 is still going on, I'm still kind of going to maybe mention it. Um so now, right now, they are 13-12. and 12. They won the division again, and we'll see what they do in the postseason. If they win tomorrow, then they'll possibly get a first-round bye. If not, they got to play on wildcard weekend. So, yeah. Which, I, against Miami, I, I'm, yeah. All right. All right, good. So that wraps up the old decade for the New England Patriots. And then when we come back, we're going to do the old Celtics team or old decade Celtics team or Celtics review. So go there. Bye. All right. So we're back with the old Celtics, um, old decade Celtics, Celtics review. So let's see. All right. So. So to start out with the 2009-2010 season, so the Celtics started the year um, or finished the year 50-32. and 32. They kind of had a bad finish to, at the beginning, which kind of like affected them too. Had a 600 or 610 um, winning percentage, and then they made it to the postseason again. Why does it do that? All right. Come on. All right. I don't know why it's doing it. I mean, yeah. know what's going on here. Why is it doing that? There is internet. I'm sorry. There is internet. Stop acting like there isn't any internet. <clears throat> here we go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, seriously. Talking to computer ambient objects, yeah, because the ambient objects should be doing my should be doing its job. I'm making my life harder. All right, so all right, so they won, made it to the Eastern Conference first round, beat the Miami Heat four games to one, then took on LeBron and the Cavaliers and basically just ended that uh, first inch reign for LeBron and the Cavaliers to the point where now he's going to decide to go to Miami at the offseason. four games to two. Then they took on the Orlando Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals and won that game four games to two to make it back to the NBA Finals. There's second in literally three years, three seasons. But then different from what was, which they faced the Lakers again and different from what was in 2008. This time it was a different story for the Celtics as they lost in seven games to the Lakers, Kobe and the Lakers. It's four games of free, basically denying them another 
Banner 18. Uh, and that would be, and that has been the last time they have made it to the NBA Finals since then. If things would have gone right, if like Kendrick Perkins would have not got hurt, then like certain people would have gotten hurt. Stuff like that, like Glenn Davis, Glenn Davis, that's a name I haven't heard in a while, would have got hurt. They would have had a shot, or they would have been able to win Banner 18, but they got hurt, and history's different. All right. Then came 2011, and it looked like that they were going to defend their Eastern Conference title, but um, it wasn't meant to be. Even though they won the Atlantic Division again for the – well, one, two, three, four, for the fourth straight year in a row. Uh, it wasn't meant to be. I mean, well, yeah, they made it good enough to make it into the postseason and win the division again, which in the NBA really doesn't mean anything. But they beat the Knicks in the first round and then made it to the – well, actually, they swept the Knicks. I should say swept the New York Knicks. Made it to the Eastern Conference semifinals face the Miami Heat, and then, yeah, Miami, led by the big free LeBron James, uh, LeBron James, D-Wade, and Chris Bosh, basically, yeah, kind of put an end to that, yeah, and then hit into 2012, or 2011-2012, and an NBA lockout season, as they didn't start playing games until as I said in the uh, news and stuff like that, they didn't start playing games until December the 25th on Christmas Day. Because, yeah, they were trying to figure out how they were going to fix the whole, like, NBA labor disputes and stuff like that. So they basically didn't start playing games until basically December. And to start out with, it looked like these Celtics were as as It was probably going to be the last year and would be the last year of the big three for the Celtics. So Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen – because Ray Allen, as I'm going to say, will leave for free agency, join the Miami Heat after the season. Well, it looked like it was going to be a slow start, but then after the All-Star break, they kind of pulled heads together and basically finished with another division title again and made it to the postseason. Let's see. They took out uh, – let's see. In the first round, they took – uh, they beat the Atlanta Hawks four games to two. Then they beat the uh, Philadelphia 76ers in seven games where basically that series went back and forth in each game. And then faced the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. And it looked like after game five that they were going to beat the Heat and make it back to the NBA Finals. But LeBron James basically proved them wrong and basically just started to prove all the dollars wrong on his way to his first NBA title of that season and basically took out the Celtics in game six and game seven and in the big free for the Celtics right there. As, as I said, Ray Allen would leave for free agency after this year and basically go over to the heat. (laughs) (laughs) And then they basically uh, played it. So the next season, 2012 and 2013, was not really an eventful year, kind of a little sluggish year. One game had to get postponed and never rescheduled because of the whole Boston Marathon bombings. So it fin- they finished the year 41 and 40 
third place in the Atlantic Division. So the division title run came to an end, made it to the Eastern Conference first round, and then basically were beat by the New York Knicks. Four games to do. They almost came back. They were down 3-0 and almost came back. But, yeah, didn't, they didn't get it done in game six. There was a joke I saw that about the 2004 Red Sox, and then it was a meme. Like, after the Celtics lost in game six, Red Sox of the 4 squad, which was the team that came back from being down three games to none to the New York Yankees and won the series four games to three in game seven, which they would end up winning the World Series at that year. But that's in that different decade. There was a joke in, like, so anyway, um, after the Celtics lost game six, which kind of ended the conversation of comebacks, Red Sox of the team was going, like, whoo, dodge that one. <laughs> We're going to be the only team that actually came back from free games. <laughs> and that basically, because in the offseason, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, the key franchise players of that team, and basically the last remaining members of the big free, of the newer big free, were traded to the Brooklyn Nets, basically. And then Doc Rivers basically quits and basically went to uh, L.A. to become the Clippers coach. So basically, that basically took away probably one of the greatest coaches in Celtics history. Not clean right up. Not saying Red Arback was the greatest, but yeah. And then began the era of Brad Stevens, who's the current coach for the now, current coach for the Celtics now. And 2013, 2014-2014 season was not an eventful year. Um they uh ended the year 25 and 57, the most amount of losses they have. Suffered since the 06-07 Celtics. So it finished the year with a 305 record. And that was even... Uh, was that worse? Or, no, that's not worse. No, no. They, oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is worse. 1996-1997. So, oh, <laughs> Alright, so yeah. Anyway, they miss out of the postseason for the first time since 07-08. So end their postseason streak. And then basically 2014-2015 um, looked like it was going to be the same thing. They ended the season with uh, two two wins up below 500, but still um, things happened that made it so the beginning of what good things to come were about to start. So they traded – they made whole trades. But the one big trade that they made during the season was getting Isaiah Thomas. And not the Isaiah Thomas of the Detroit Nets. No, that, that dude's old now. <laughs> but this is a newer, newer, younger Isaiah Thomas, which basically it's – if you see Isaiah this Isaiah Thomas name, it's different spelling than the Isaiah Thomas of the 1980s and stuff like that. This is more of a biblical name, biblical spelling as a way. So basically – Celtics made the postseason for the first time, or made it, or made it for the first <laughs> made it to the postseason after basically taking a year off, but then made it to the first round. Basically, got swept by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Then 2015-2016 was a much better year. Uh, finished second in the in the Atlantic Division, forty eight and thirty four, but then. Lost to, 
lost the Atlanta Hawks in uh, six games. You know, I was watching one of the games at my cousin's wedding at a bar. The reception was at a bar, and we kind of doing karaoke. So I was sometimes like kind of go check on the Celtics on the kind of TVs in the bar and stuff like that, and kind of like go, yeah. Well, yeah, kind of like being the Celtics fan I am. Yeah. But then 2016 and 2017, that's when the real show started to start. And then basically they finished the year 53 and 29. And the first time since 2011, 2012, they've won their division and then made it to the postseason again for a second straight year in a row. And then, hold on. Made it to the Eastern Conference final first round, beat uh the Chicago Bulls in six games, then to the conference semifinals, took out a kind of grueling seven game Washington Wizards team Washington Wizards series, which in game two or game one, Isaiah Thomas had a career and possibly historic NBA night where he scored fifty three points. I think that's the most. I think that. Might be the uh, or one of it's probably the most that a Celtics player has had in the postseason and stuff like that. It's real good. And please message me if I'm wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure he uh and basically it was a career night for Isaiah. 53 points. After weeks ago, he got news that his sister had died in a car wreck, and this is basically kind of just a game to honor her, basically. So then they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and Isaiah went down with an injury, which kind of has kind of plagued them since then. And they lost the Cavaliers and basically got shellacked by the Cavaliers in a five-game series. And then came 2017, 2018. Then they made some moves. They got Gordon Hayward. They traded Kyrie Irving, but they got rid of Isaiah Thomas, which wasn't really a popular move back then. But, yeah, and it probably would be an unpopular move in the near future because when we get into this, we're going to find out why uh, that wasn't a great move. <laughs> so, anyway, they uh, made the – so, uh, anyway, to begin with the season, their free agent, Gordon Hayward – Succumbed to a really bad injury, which almost could have destroyed his career too. But they ended up using it as motivation. They went on a 19. Well, I could be wrong on that. Hold on. <laughs> All right. Their biggest win streak was. Hold on. Schedule results. All right. All right. So they went on a a sixteen, which is basically second most win streak in Celtics franchise history, which was really good. Really good. Yeah. And they uh, won 55, went, had 55 wins and 27 losses. 
Very good. Made it back to the post. Oh, come on. Come on. Get Made it back to the post. Finished second, however, in the Atlant or in the Atlantic Division, which ended up being won by the Toronto Raptors. They uh, beat the Bucks in a four-game series in a not four in a seven-game series. Took out the Philadelphia 76ers, and they basically took them out like four, four games to one. Then they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and the f- best thing about this postseason was that two of their stars, two of their offseason acquisitions, Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, were both out with injuries. So basically you were basically facing with guys that were basically no stars or basically rookies. And they made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals, where they took it to seven games, but eventually lost to LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers, which would basically be LeBron James last year in Cleveland. <laughs> well, I think, look, here in Cleveland fans, they fall like, yeah, it is probably going to be in for LeBron in Cleveland, but should we got a ring in 2016? <laughs> he did eventually bring a title back. All right, so we're going to end with the 2018-2019 year um, with the Celtics, and this year is, was good in a way that they made the postseason again, won 49 games out of 33, but it was just, it was a team with so many expectations to the point where everybody was saying that they would be good and they would basically not only win the Eastern Conference, but basically win the NBA title, and it didn't turn out that way. Locker room problems from Kyrie, Terry Rozier, and Marcus Morris and all those guys basically made it to the point where, like, this wasn't fun. It was good enough to get into the postseason, but not good enough to go anywhere. Yeah. And that's basically what happened. They took – they swept the Indiana Pacers, and this was last season, the Indiana Pacers in four games to none and basically just quit against the Milwaukee Bucks and lost in five games. And basically – did not win a single game. They won one game, and that was a game in Milwaukee, and that was game one. And basically, at the end, they basically just quit after that, and basically did not win after that. And that's basically just capped off a really not too great year where, like, this wasn't fun from locker room problems to just stuff like that. And we thought that a plane ride to the West Coast would change everything, but it didn't really. Kyrie giving that little pep talk on the plane did not really change anything. It did not. Hopefully this year is better, which is turning out to be better. Yeah, but I won't go into detail on that because that's going to end in a new decade, the 2020s. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. All right. So when we come back, two more, two more after this. So when we come back, we're going to do, um. The Boston Bruins All Decade Review. So don't go anywhere. Bye. All right, so we're back and we're going to do Bruins All Decade um, Review. So yeah. All right, here we go. So to begin with, so we're going to start with the 2009-2010 Bruins, which finished the year 39 and 20. All right, hold on. All right. Here we are. Okay. I was trying to figure this out. All right. So 39 and 30 and 13. So if you add that up. Oh, man, here, right. 
39 wins? Can't be right. Can't be right, is it? Yeah, I guess I guess it is. Huh? All right, so they finished third in their division. So not really a great year from the year before, which basically they won the President's Cup and stuff like that. All right. So, let's see. They got into the corner finals and the conference finals and then basically beat the Sabres four games to two. Can you show us? All right. So, anyway, so they had – though they made to the conference semifinals and faced the Philadelphia Flyers – who basically staged a comeback to remember basically the best comeback in hockey history or hockey in this decade. I think it was either 3-0 or 3-1. But basically, yeah, they basically came back and basically won the series against the Bruins and ended their season, which basically should not have ended that way, but it ended that way. Here you go, Philadelphia Flyers. Here it is. Here's a series. Yeah, we don't really want to play in the Stanley Cup. All right. So, although 2010-2011 was going to be a different year, as they won 46 games, 25 losses, and 11 of those overtime losses, and won the division for the first time since, or at least after taking a year off, they beat the Montreal Canadiens seven ga- in seven games in the quarterfinals, then faced the Philadelphia Flyers again, in the semifinals after a year later, and basically this time, there was going to be no comeback. No, they took care of business by sweeping the Flyers in four games. And then took care of Tampa Bay Lightning in the conference finals, Eastern Conference finals, to make it back to the Stanley Cup. There's first time since. Let's see. First time since 1990. First time the Bruins have been in the Stanley Cup since then. And it looked like the Vancouver Canucks, after being up three games to two and heading back to Boston for game six, but the Bruins found a way to win that series. Took game two, all right, not game two, game six at home in the Garden fans to tie up the series and headed back to a game seven in Vancouver. But Mr. Old Charlie Horton, had a way of Mr. Charlie Horton had a way of bringing some of that garden ice to Vancouver, poured some little ice water on to Vancouver ice and said, boys, the ice is ours. And and that was a good year too, because Tim Thomas had a real good year. And that was the reason why that team was good. Tim Thomas was basically a stone wall as goalie and going into game seven, he was another stone wall and basically the Bruins ended up basically just, hammering home goal after goal against the Canucks and to the point where like it was basically over after yeah it was basically over after that and they ended up bringing home their first Stanley Cup title in since in 39 years in over 40 years in almost 40 years back home to the garden get the duck boats ready after 39 years the cup is back home to America's hockey town yeah 2011, 2013, or 2012, um, a decent year, but still, um, they finished the year 49 and 29 with four, with, ooh, four overtime losses. I think that's the lowest they've had in this decade. Awesome. 
awesome. So they only lost four games in overtime, which I am totally confused about. Why would they do that? I missed me points-wise. But anyway, they weren't able to repeat in 2012. They made it to the first round of the playoffs and then lost to the Washington Capitals in four games. Our men seven games. They didn't get swept. <laughs> so, yeah, not good. All right. And then fast forward to 2012-2013, uh, and it almost looked like there wasn't going to be an NHL season. Just like the NBA lockout in 2011, in 2012, the NHL had a lockout too. And they didn't play games until basically late December, early January. And But this should be a memorable season too because they finished, although they finished the year 28, 14, and 6, um, they still made it, got second in their division, made it to the postseason, and with kind of like the same time as the whole uh, Boston Marathon bombing, and they used kind of used that as motivation too to make it to the Stanley Cup. They, uh, Took the Maple Leafs to seven games, which in that game they were down, they were down like four to one and stuff like that, and then came back and won. Oh, I've done this. All right. Why don't we think about this before? I don't know why. Because it's been a long day. We've been doing so many podcasts in a row. It's getting to the point where I'm just tired. I want to go to bed. All right. Where is it? Where is it? All right. All right. So anyway, so they were down. So they were down four to one, but literally not a lot of time left. And then goes by Nathan Horton, Maya Lichik, and Patrice Bergeron tied the game up in the third quarter after being down four to one in the third period and then forced it in overtime where Bergeron basically ended it there for the Bruins in overtime, in the first overtime, and basically helped them advance after completing probably one of the greatest single game comebacks. For the Bruins in this decade. Bergeron! 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 And the Bruins win the series! Made to the semifinals. Took out the New York Rangers four games to one. Made to the Eastern Eastern Conference Finals. Took on the Pittsburgh Penguins and beat, swept them under the dust. But then they made it to the Stanley Cup in... Against the Blackhawks, and basically they kind of really didn't have a chance. Lost in six games, stuff like that. So not good, not good. So yeah, that kind of ended the run there. So and that was really, and that was probably one of the crushing blows of the Bruins fan that year. So not good. Probably one of the toughest of them. Yeah. All right. So, they made it to 
that. So next year, 2013-2014, they have finished the year 54-19 and 19 with a nine overtime losses. Won the division again in the Atlantic division, which basically kind of changed. Um, they kind of like did some reformatting and alignment and stuff like that. And uh, so made it to the second round. Let's see. Beat the Red Wings 4-1, to one, then made it to second round and lost a seven-game series to their arch-rival, the Montreal Canadiens. So that kind of ended their streak there. Then in the 2014-15, finished the year 41 and 27 and 14. Let's see. Finished fifth in the Atlantic Division. Let's see how they do. Yeah, so basically just good enough to have be under 500. Wonder, was this the year they choked? The year they choked? Yeah, it's kind of like a 25th. I'm not sure. Maybe, I don't know. No, that's, that's not what I wanted. Okay, it's not really giving me what I wanted. All right, so yeah. Either one of this year's 20. I think this is it. I think, yeah, this is the year where they kind of like had a. Um, Shouldn't know this, but I don't. But anyway, yeah, they didn't make the postseason as good enough to be on or above five hundred, but not good enough to uh make it far. Or this could have been the year. Uh-huh. All right, so they 2016, they finished the year. 42 and 13 and 9. And uh finished third in the Atlantic Division, but no postseason run. Con- yeah, so Call of Duty. Yeah. But yeah. We're gonna talk about there. Then int. So 2016, 2017, um, it looked like it wasn't going to be another good year for the Bruins, but they made a switch on Super Bowl Parade weekend. They got rid of Claude Judian and hired assistant Bruce Cassidy as interim coach. And then they finished the year 44 and 31 and 7 and finished for the Atlantic Division, which gave them a postseason spot, their first in literally two seasons. And then, but they lost. In six games, the Ottawa Senators. So first round, exit right there. But luckily, in the offseason, they decided to uh, give Claude Judy or give Bruce Cassidy, who's now the current coach now, an extension. He's now the current coach now. All right. Then 2017-2018, they won 50 games, won, lost 20, and lost 12 in overtime. Finished second in the Atlantic Division against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Took the 
Le- Maple Leafs two seven games, and then lost four game four games to one to the Tampa Bay Lightning, and that yeah the kind of their season right there. So no Stanley Cup. Then into 2018-2019, they had another memorable season. Probably one, probably the best I've seen, or just like the one scene that I was really attached to watching so far. Um, they uh, won 49 games, 24, nine lost. I mean, won 49 games, lost 24, and nine of those losses were in overtime. And then uh, got second in the Atlantic Division. Took out the Maple Leafs in seven games again. And then made it to the second round and took out the Columbia Blue Jackets, who basically shocked the best team in hockey at the time. Tampa Bay Lightning, and then basically and swept the Carolina Hurricanes, and then made it to the Stanley Cup final for the first time since 2013. But then again, after a heartbreaking defeat, lost to the St. Louis Blues, a team kind of destined stuff like the whole Gloria thing. Oh, God. <laughs> but yeah, lost four games to free, and another heartbreaking Stanley Cup defeat. Yeah, just that close, but yet so far. Yeah, so that ends the decade for the Bruins. We won't go in the nineteen twenty or nine two thousand nineteen twenty because yeah, that's a new decade. So when we come back, we're gonna wrap things up and then we're gonna talk about yeah, nerding football and stuff like that. So don't go anywhere. Bye. All right. So we're back for the Nerd Aim of football all decade um, show. So, yeah. Let's see. So in 2010, they got a new coach, Ryan Kelly, and basically kind of got off to a slow start, but then finished the year 8-5 and five and made it to the Sun Bowl where they beat Miami in that game. Then on – one of those losses in 2010 was one of the worst losses to Tulsa. And now it was almost looking like that Brian Kelly might lose his job after being on the job for one year. Then, in 2011, um, they lost to Southern Florida or South Florida in the home opener, but ended up finished the year identical, like 8-5. and five. And then lost to uh, Florida State in the Champ Sports Bowl. Champ Sports Bowl. All right. Then in 2012, that's when things started to get going. Um, they started the year undefeated and only losing the game in the BCF Championship game, which uh, which they played in a or wait, what? Which they lost to Alabama. Basically, just got ran over by Alabama. Although in 2016. They had to advocate those wins. So they finished the year 0 and 1. Yeah. And then in 2013, they, uh, well, the reason why they had to advocate those wins because there was like academic misconduct and stuff like that and like guys cheating in the classroom and stuff like that and like playing ineligible and stuff like that. So, yeah, they had the, and 2013, all those wins were lost too, so a nine and four record, and then a pinstripe 
bowl victory against Kansas State. Wait, it was Kansas State. No, 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 no. Against Rutgers, which, yeah, now that game got, yeah. Someone that, but now, yeah, they had to take that bowl game a win. Two. Then in 2014, finished eight and five. They should have gone undefeated, but then lost to Florida State and then lost to Arizona State, Louisville, yeah, and like USC, and they just had to settle for one bowl for a uh, music bowl, music city bowl, or music city bowl, which they won. Let's see, which they beat Louisiana State or or LSU yet. 38 to 28. It's a way to finish the year off. <laughs> yeah. That was when people started saying, yeah, we need to fire Brian Kelly. And then 2015, they should have been able to be good, but then losses to Clemson and Stanford in the regular season kind of made it so they, you know, they had to play the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State and lost that one. Then probably one of the worst years, 2016. So they lost to... Texas, Duke, yes, Duke, yes, Duke, yeah, not famous for football. Um, let's see, they lost to Duke. Let's see who else they lost to. Let's see, let's, yeah. Let's see, they lost to Duke. Let's see, they lost to Michigan State, Duke. Um... NC State, Navy, Virginia Tech. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah. So, and that was also the same time too. They were also coming out with all the stuff like the academic cheating and stuff like that. And that was kind of not a great time too. So I thought that yeah, this will probably be the kicker to kick up Brian Kelly out. But then they finished the year, uh, or in twenty seventeen they bounced back, um, ten and three, which. Still isn't good. They lost to Georgia, um, lost to Georgia, Miami, and then uh, Stanford, but still got into a bowl game and played in the Citrus Bowl against LSU, and they won that one. Miles um, Boykin had a catch to remember in that game that basically kind of is like iconized, like kind for the win and stuff like that. Then in 2018, they had a great year, went undefeated again, and made it to the college football postseason, made it to the Cotton Bowl, and then basically just got butt whooped by Clemson. But still a good year all the same. And then this year, the spot with the losses to Georgia and Michigan, that kind of knocked them out of the postseason, which they had to settle for a Camping World Bowl. Still a great year entirely. They finished the last three seasons, 10 or more wins which basically kind of like first time they did that since the 1990s, as I said earlier on the podcast, and finished off with a Camping World Bowl victory against Iowa State. Yeah. That ends it for the Notre Dame. Yeah. So anyway, um, so sorry if it was kind of like a little bit like, kind of like a little bit spotty and stuff like that. And like some stuff, I some stats I wasn't able to, like the, 
Bruins in 2014 and 2015 and 2015, 2016. I didn't know which season they kind of like did a whole kind of collapse swing. I knew they were like had like some kind of bad ending to one of those seasons where like they didn't make the, make the post. It's kind of like 2011 Red Sox in a way. But I just I just couldn't remember. I was trying to figure out which one it was. Just couldn't find out. So, yeah. That ends the decade. All right. So, probably Red Sox greatest players. Kind of hard to tell. Kind of hard to figure out. I feel like my two will probably be um, David Ortiz and uh, Mookie Betts. For the Patriots, I feel like it's uh, Brady and Gronkowski. Uh, for the Celtics, I believe it's probably yeah, probably Isaiah Thomas and Jason Tatum. I feel like yeah. Um, for the Bruins, I believe it's Marshawn and uh, Patrice Bergeron. And then for Notre Dame, kind of feel like it's a uh, see. Kind of hard to tell with Notre Dame because it, it, it's like their season, like not their guys are there for like only four or five years, so you really can't really say who's like not like something like that. But yeah, so so we're heading into a new decade starting Wednesday. So new decade. The 2020s. Yeah. 100 years ago, it was in the 1920s. Yeah. The roaring 20s, 100 years later. <laughs> yeah. What I'm planning on doing in 2020, I want to start the point where, like, we're actually having guests on the show, basically, and stuff like that. Try to get, like, old teammates and stuff like that. Try to get, try, if I can, like, either through phone conversations or Skyping. With someone like Boston Sports Media and Notre Dame football or Notre Dame like media personalities and stuff like that. Try to get them interviews and stuff like that. Maybe even players someday. We'll probably start out with former players. So yeah. We'll try to do that. Like that might be a goal that we might try to do in twenty twenty. Try to actually start getting like actual interviews on this show and try to make it more interesting and stuff like that. Actually have a conversation where I'm actually not just talking to myself into this microphone. So anyway, yeah, I think that'll about do it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share and keep doing what I love. Uh, follow my Twitter pages, which I'll mention in the details. Um, let's see, follow the show on Instagram at lowercase royal rooters nineteen ninety two. Uh, follow this, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple iTunes, and give us a five star review if you can. Follow the show on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcast from. It doesn't matter to us. So, yeah, about do it. See you guys. Possibly, we're going to do a college football championship prediction show because tonight or today was like basically the semifinal games and they're basically kind of almost over in a way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Clemson's pretty, oh, yeah. Clemson's up. But by close, yeah. So we'll either do a post-game show or championship prediction show probably Monday or so. I kind of want to take a day off tomorrow. So I want to see you guys possibly Monday.
So take us home or cue the standos as they do after every Red Sox win at home and after every Bruins win at home. Cue the standos. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you about my town. I'm going to tell you a big fat story, baby. I'll talk about my town. Yeah, down by the river. Down by the banks of the river, child. Ah, that's what's happening, baby. Unlike consoles, Stadia doesn't take up any space. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Please go home. Please, I've done four podcasts today already. Go. Yes, please tell. Seriously, all go home. Please, please all go home.